Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win and USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek, is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Plus. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. That, uh, that new music can only mean one thing. Charles McDonald is finally here. We've been telling you for weeks now that uh, Forverts was joining us, and he's here. Charles, what's up, man? How are you? Oh, it feels good to be here. Uh, yeah, this is my first week at For the Win. Uh, seems like a pretty cool place to work so far. And uh, I'm going to be doing the, uh, the counter show with Chris and Steven. So uh, this is uh, the first podcast I've had where... It's like a real production instead of me just sitting at a Skype thing and pressing, pressing upload on whatever crap comes out of my mouth. <laughs> it's not much more sophisticated than that, man. Uh, yeah, this is The Counter. I'm Chris Corman uh, with For the Win. We're joined, as usual, by Steven Ruiz. Uh, and we are the NFL sort of team for, well, all of us at For the Win cover the NFL because the NFL is the NFL. But uh, we are focused on it, and we're going to be digging into a bunch of stuff this week. Like Charles said, this was his first week at the site, and he jumped right in, started writing about uh, Carson Wentz, and Stephen broke down some tape of Jalen Hurts and what that what he's going to do for the Eagles. So we'll dig in on that uh, and, and what's going on there. The Eagles have... A pretty messy situation. We're going to look at the Pittsburgh Steelers who finally lost a game and some of the consternation coming out of Pittsburgh was about the wide receivers dropping passes. Steven took a deeper look at that and who's actually to blame. Steven also looked at the Cardinals offense and why it is not working as well as it should be. I know Charles watched some film of that today and has some extra observations. Charles is also going to bring us some thoughts on Greg Williams, who was fired by the Jets. And, uh, you know, there's there's still discussion of his zero blitz call at the end of the game and uh, sort of what it meant and, and what it means for him and, and how players think about him. So we'll, we'll look at that and then obviously we'll break down the playoff picture update and look ahead to what is this week 14 now we're gonna yeah it's great yeah. Check, check in on the games uh but first we want to hit the covid situation in the nfl and it's actually relatively calm considering that across the country it is absolutely raging and the uh death tolls are completely flabbergasting like We've had some of the deadliest days in American history over the last week. Uh, but the NFL right now, it's there's a little bit of a lull. The Chicago Bears apparently shut down this morning, but are going to practice this afternoon. 
I'm not exactly sure what the point of that might be. It makes as uh, much sense as trading for Nick Foles. <laughs> <laughs> it makes less sense than trading for Nick Foles because there's like life and death possibly, at, <laughs> uh, possibly at stake here. But uh, Charles jumped in right away and he, he was – uh, we were all watching the Ravens game on – what day was that? It got moved to Tuesday, and Des Bryant, who was getting prepared to play the Cowboys, uh, the team with which he became famous, uh, you know, and obviously was psyched for the game, was out there super early for warm-ups, was like greeting old friends, and it was like that was the storyline that was emerging. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Des Bryant was taken off the field, and apparently he had a positive COVID test uh, and – the NFL and the Ravens quickly sort of worked to cover it up. Quite frankly, uh, a Ravens employee had tweeted pictures of, of Des Bryant <laughs> hugging other people like right next to them uh, as close as you can get to another human being. Um, and uh, it, it deleted it after news came out that of course the Ravens said that Bryant was out with quote unquote illness uh, instead of just saying a COVID-19 positive test uh, and so charles weighed in on this uh with a with the trenchant take i think on on what this means and steve and i have been talking about it for weeks now uh that this is just the league is just sort of waving its hand at doing something about covid it's just sort of hoping to get through uh it's continuing to to fulfill its TV deals and, and bring in the money. Uh, and that's sort of what's going on. Charles, what did, what did you think as you were watching all that unfold on Tuesday? <laughs> it was like ridiculous, but it was also on brand for the NFL. I mean, they, there has been no rhyme or reason throughout this entire season for how they're going to get through this pandemic. Like I, I remember before the season even started, you know, you have the, the the reporters that tend to carry water for the owners being like, there's no way they could have foreseen that it'll be this bad. Even though, like, if you listen to every public health expert, they were like, yeah, like, right. if you don't do this, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then it's going to end up being really bad. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So, you know, now as we are, well, the season's almost over. It's December. We just had Thanksgiving where people didn't give a damn and just went through and sat with their families anyways. And now we're at like over 200,000 cases a day and it's really bad. The NFL is obviously going to be impacted by that. And when you see, you know, Des Bryant, he's on the field hugging the former Cowboys teammates and players. He, uh, and then literally like an hour before the game starts, not even an hour, like 40 minutes, Des Bryant just tweets, Oh, uh, I tested positive for coronavirus. <laughs> oh, okay. And and the, the funny thing is, like, we all knew that they weren't going to cancel the game. We all knew that they were just going to power through because uh, the NFL has a lot of money, and that's, like, the only thing that matters in this country, how much money you have. And uh, a pandemic isn't changing that fact, and Des Bryant hugging people with coronavirus, or maybe he doesn't have coronavirus since uh, he said he tested <laughs> negative today and he was unhappy about that for some reason. Like the whole, the whole situation is bizarre, but I mean, uh, it, it just goes to show you like how much they don't care at all. Because I thought the funny part was Des tweeted at 7.35 PM that he had coronavirus and the Ravens tweeted at 7.50 PM that he was out with an illness. Like, dude, we already right. know he has coronavirus. You already told the world. So you don't have to try to hide it at this point. And one thing I was thinking about was, can you imagine being the person that has to go up to Des Bryant and be like, yo, can you can you take that down for us, please? Just a little bit. Because if, if you know anything about Des, he's not going to do that. Like, 
that's probably going to cause another explosive situation. So uh, the fact that they went through that game and then they were like, oh, he had no close contacts with any right. high-risk people. When we saw pictures of him hugging uh, the Cowboys players, it just it, – it was just a mess. And it's just a mess that no one's surprised by. And it's an inconsequential mess for the NFL because – they're just going to power through and they're going to rake in whatever cash they can after uh, they lost, you know, whatever from the preseason game for not being there. Uh, and we're just going to keep pretending that COVID is not affecting the NFL season, I guess. Yeah. We, when we talked about this in the off season and Corman like repeatedly asked, how confident are you in the season getting played? And based on all the evidence, you'd be like, I'm not confident at all, but you know how the NFL operates and, the only reason I was confident the season was getting played was because the NFL was going to do exactly this and just power through it. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it, it, and that's exactly what they're doing. And and that Tuesday uh, with the Des Bryant fiasco is just the perfect, it, it's, it's, the, it's the perfect, you know, showcase for how the NFL is handling this. Like you had, you had to play the game on Tuesday because the game was, was supposed to be played on Thursday last week but that game got pushed because the Ravens on Thanksgiving had a coronavirus outbreak and then they had to play that game with RG3 on Wednesday like no one has ever associated the NFL with Tuesday and Wednesday games but hey you know there's a pandemic and we're just going to keep powering through like nothing's going on and 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 that's that yeah and to not have put in any sort of extra week you know like it became pretty clear that the nfl was pretending like oh well we're going to we're going to build into our schedule so that we can be flexible but like it meant moving games to tuesday or wednesday and then making teams play on short rest and play without having practiced or walk through i mean it's just everything about it is flaunting the idea of player safety I mean, it's just not happening right that's like point. the one dark thing about these Tuesday and Wednesday games, like they're kind of fun just because they're different and we're not used to it. And like, people are like, Oh, football on Wednesday. But like these players have to turn around and play another game in five, in five days, which is just dangerous in and of itself. And then you add on a pandemic on top of that. And like, it's getting really hard to, to cover this league without feeling bad about yourself. Oh yeah, you just gotta throw your morals out the window. I mean, <laughs> look, we're we're watching people run to each other for money. Like it's 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 already a blood sport, but this this I, I will say this does make you feel a little bit worse about what's going on because now the NFL has also influenced the health of everybody else by just continuing to power through this. And as we keep getting worse and worse, and people will go home for Christmas and they'll go out for New Year's, and that will affect like undoubtedly affect NFL teams as well. I mean, it's just gonna keep getting worse. So. Right. I guess at this point, hopefully no one dies. And that's yeah. really the only saving grace that the NFL has left at this point. And really, right. this, this, where, just, where this just makes Aaron Rodgers even more valuable because you know he's not at risk for, for picking the, <laughs> the extra stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, EPA does not account for that. Uh, this It is troublesome, though, that this – I mean, I think you're right, like bringing up the point that they called it an illness. Like why hide – like it's not a HIPAA violation at that point. Like – and the NFL needs to be more open about it because everyone does look to the league. And if people see, well, okay, Des Bryant tested positive and everything was, he was hugging people and they decided it was fine. Like they're setting a standard for better or worse. Like people should not look to the NFL to be uh, the arbiter of, of how we do public health, right? Like that is not the NFL's role, but it's how it functions, right? It's uh, it's a very, the, the influence is, 
pervasive uh, across the the country and people are looking at this and they're going to think oh okay well it's it's if i get it i'm going to be fine but the nfl players are on a totally different level than all of us when it comes to how often they're being tested how they're being treated uh just everything and, and also their chances of getting through it because like they're in impeccable shape right. like i remember right. back when i when eric berry got sick with cancer and the doctor was like dude like you're in such great shape like this might not be that bad of a process for you and obviously like you know like getting chemo and stuff like that w- was awful but the fact that he showed up as like a world-class athlete definitely made his recovery a little bit easier. And, you know, if, if you're someone like me who just kind of sits on the couch for those days, like I don't think you should be able to expect that you'll have the same recovery time as an NFL player. If you get coronavirus, like it's the way that we view this is all messed up and our society is kind of screwed up and, you know, but this is the world we exist in. And, uh, yeah, there, there's a little bit of a, a, a little bit of self gain here because it's, good business for us for the nfl to be playing games but at the same time it's also feels kind of yucky yeah all right well on that uh, incredibly uplifting <laughs> note charles your, your debut here is i mean people are just going to be psyched yeah. uh yeah we uh no we've been talking about this for for months now and it really is hard to grapple with um let's talk some football anyway let's let's discuss this just Absolutely disgusting Philadelphia Eagles. I would say team. another disease. Yeah, uh, just just a total mess. I'm I'm kind of regretting even leading with this, but we uh, it is a a big news story going around the league, and that is that Jalen Hurts is going to get the start, and Carson Wentz. Uh, I haven't even followed the news quite far. I saw like that he might not even dress. I don't know. He might go home to North Dakota and go hunting. North Dakota is a hot spot, so he probably shouldn't go there. Uh, I don't even know what's actually going on. I know Jalen Hurts is going to get his shot. Uh, and Steven, you watched a little bit of film. Uh, what does that mean? You've not been super high on Hurts. You didn't think, you know, you obviously do a ton of work heading into the draft on rookie QBs and you had Hurts pretty low on that list. Uh, but what are you seeing? What are you anticipating as far as his impact for the Eagles right now? I mean, I'll say that I was low on Hurts, but he was the one guy, and I think I tweeted this out when I posted the store or the, the rankings. It was like he's the one guy that I'm most worried about because of his range of outcomes. I think he could be like a, a solid quarterback. Mm-hmm. And for, for right now, like he's not going to be a solid quarterback right away, but – he gives the Eagles offense something that it doesn't have. And that's something that they can like hang their hat on. It's something they can be effective at. And that's running the ball. If you involve him in the run game. And like, I didn't watch much film like emphasis on, uh, I watched a little film. I just watched his runs and how they were using him. And there, there was a lot of cool stuff that I didn't realize they were doing. Like they were running like counter bash plays. Like I think did Lamar score on counter bash or was that a different play? Uh, I, Lamar scored a bunch of times on it. He, he scored on it on, on, uh, on Dallas on Tuesday and then he had and then RG3 had the run versus Pittsburgh like that's pretty much a core staple in the Ravens run game now right so you saw that you saw like inverted veer which is a a play Cam Newton's really made famous Lamar's also ran it very well in the NFL Uh, they did a little speed option so like it's a lot of cool stuff that we didn't see on Sunday when he came in because I'm assuming that wasn't in the game plan but it will be going forward so at the very least, he's going to make the run game better. He's going to make them better on first and second down. They're going to avoid third and long, I think, more often. And they're just not an offense that's built to win on third and long. Yeah, I thought one cool thing about watching Hurts in college, at least, was 
he the way he runs like he almost sets up his blockers like a running back and the way mm-hmm. that he he cuts like it's very decisive like the, the way you see top running backs do so you know i'm excited to see how their run game uh kind of expands with this because i'm always just a fan of watching offenses try to play 11 on 11 football and get these coward pocket quarterbacks out of the way uh and you know I, i'm with steven with the throwing i'm a, I'm a little bit concerned even though when he got in the game versus the Packers, uh, you know, he had to throw to, to whoever for the long touchdown on fourth down. But, you know, he, he's missing some of the easy stuff. And I think that that might come with time. But at the very least, he gives you a floor for, like, having a good running a good running game. Because Miles Sanders, I think, is a, is uh, not maybe not an upper tier back, but he's someone that can be effective. And you add Hurts, who can also damage with his legs. Like, that's something that can open the Eagles offense up. And, they need anything in, you know, the worst possible way because I, I don't know. Like I, I know that they've had injuries and stuff like that, and Wentz has obviously been just an anchor on that offense. But it's still kind of surprising to see this offense be this like apocalyptically bad this season. Uh, so hopefully, Hurts can just provide some little spark because they need it. And uh, I'm I'm really interested to see what this offense looks like with a legitimate running threat quarterback that they're not afraid is going to get hurt every time he gets hit by a defender. Yeah, I think it like gives Doug Peterson a chance to little to flex a little bit and like show that he's not like because a, a, a big criticism has been how simplistic their scheme has been and maybe with this new quarterback he can you know branch out a little bit and any concerns I have about Hurts as a passer like it goes doubly for Carson Wentz. Like Carson Wentz is inaccurate. <laughs> Carson Wentz doesn't read defenses. Carson Wentz like isn't great at managing the pocket. I think Jalen Hurts is like his floor is probably the offense's floor is probably lower or higher with Hurts, but I'm not so sure that the ceiling isn't higher too. So what happens with Wentz? Uh, Charles, you looked into this. I mean, Wentz's 128 million dollar extension has not even kicked in yet, right? Like those years have not begun, uh, and they due to dead cap money, they're not really able to move on until after next season. Uh, so, how, Charles, how do you see this playing out? What are the options here for the Eagles? Well, I, I think there's really only one option, and even that's going to be kind of difficult for them. Like, you could – cutting him is out of the question because right. I, I think that if they cut him, um, they would have, like, something like 50 – like, almost 60 million dead cap plus an additional – uh, like 25 loss in cap space savings. So that's essentially what, like $85 million that you don't have access to. And if the cap ceiling is going to be adjusted down to, you know, between like 175 and $180 million, that's just an unrealistic chunk to lose out of your available money. So uh, even a, even a, a, a pre-June 1st trade would be pretty difficult to pull off for them just in terms of money. And you have to remember that, the Eagles, even if like Carson Wentz is playing well and there wasn't this this doubt about him coming back next season, they still have to do a lot to get under the cap space. Like I think they're you know close to, like seventy million dollars, eighty million dollars over yeah. uh, the the projected 2021 cap. So uh, I think their only real option is unless Jalen Hurts just blacks out and plays out of his mind for these last few games and looks like a Pro Bowl starter I mean, immediately, then I, I would assume Wentz is going to be back as a starter next year because uh, I don't think that Philly is in a spot where also they can afford to like give up picks to give like to get 
Wentz off the roster because I think the only way that you can make this trade work is Wentz has been so bad this year that you're looking at something like a Brock Osweiler trade like the Texans and the Browns pulled off uh, prior to the 2017 season after the Texans had drafted Deshaun Watson. Uh, and unless you have the confidence that Hurts is going to be on that level and you are willing to literally just punt the entire 2021 season because you're going to be losing a lot of access to a lot of your, you're going to be losing access to a lot of your money uh, for that year. If you decide to get rid of once you're pretty much just saying, we're going to rebuild with a new coach and potentially a new GM too, and just go all in with Jalen Hurts for at least one season. But the Eagles have so much more work to do besides just the Carson Wentz question. Right. That I, I think that the most logical thing for them to do is just to bring him back for 2021 and just praise that he gets his, his, his life back together. And, all, and also, like, transitioning <laughs> to Hertz takes, like, an organizational effort. Like, when the Ravens... Right, it's, like Fla- it's like Flacco to Jackson. Yeah, right. I mean, exactly. The Ravens didn't just hand the keys to Lamar Jackson. They, like, made personnel moves with him in mind. And I think this, like, relates to the Patriots, who kind of have been uh, fitting Cam Newton in on the fly this year with no offseason. Like, it's going to be tough for Hertz to even look his best in these next like four games or so. So if they want to commit to him, I feel like you just have to commit. Now I do like a lot of the talk has been, how do we fix Carson Wentz? And I really don't know if there's anything to fix. I really think it's just a matter of putting him in an offense where his, his weaknesses are just masked and his strengths are highlighted. It's like putting like Jared Goff going from whatever offense they were running under Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay's offense. So my question is, is there an offense or a team out there that makes sense for Carson Wentz right now? And like, what is that team? Put yourself in Dan Orlovsky's shoes. Come up <laughs> with the best, the dream scenario for your boy next year. What is it? I don't even know. Twenty Indianapolis, I guess. Like some something similar where you just have like a crazy rock solid offensive line. Right. A good run game. Yeah, like Indianapolis is the the obvious pick because Frank Reich. But even then, I don't know. Like. Is that something when I watch, Indianapolis will be interested in? That, exactly. That's that's one concern. And like they they run like a like a quick hitting offense. <laughs> is that something Carson Wentz is going to be good at? I don't know. Let's, let's go, go to the other side of the state. Let's go. Let's go to Pittsburgh, uh, where we've been making fun of Beth Roethlisberger, quite frankly, all season uh, for not really throwing the ball downfield. Uh, Steelers. Lost the first game, and uh, I guess that's when Mike Tomlin started discussing the fact that he is upset with his wide receivers for uh, the number of drops that they've had. Uh, it, Steven looked into it. 17 passes dropped since week nine, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. That's a exceptionally high number. Uh, but it, Tomlin was you know, quick to say, like, hey, if the wide receivers don't catch the ball, they're going to get replaced with by somebody who does. And that's like a wholly simplistic way of putting it, right? Like, it's not like these are all perfect passes that these guys should have caught. Uh, so Steven took a deeper look. And, and actually, this I love when you do this. Steven, like, sort of created this story on Twitter by saying, hey, I wonder if most drops happen over the middle where middle linebackers and safeties are lurking. And sure enough, uh, some people with the the access to the data that would that would explain this chimed in and helped Steven form his take. So what did, what did you find, Steven? Well, I didn't find it. Next Gen Stats found it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that drops happen most often close to the line of scrimmage, 
and in the middle of the field, which like makes total sense. That's where the linebackers and safeties are waiting to hit these guys. That's where you don't have a lot of time to adjust to maybe inaccurate passes. You don't really have time to track the ball. The ball gets on you fast and that makes it harder to catch passes. Anyone who's caught any type of ball can tell you that. So it makes sense. I don't think I was like, I came up with this like galaxy brain theory. So I'm not surprised at the results, but with how the Steelers operate on offense and the reason they operate like this is not because their wide receiver core is bad. Their wide receiver core is really good, which makes the Tomlin comment even funnier. Like what you're just going to replace chase Claypool. You have like a backup that's better than him sitting around, but yeah. And when you watch the, their drops, it's clearly the product of a couple of things. One Eric Ebron can't catch like that's he's, it's been a problem his whole career. But then, two Ben Roethlisberger's accuracy hasn't really been great. Like, he's getting the ball to the receivers, but they're having, having to adjust and catch the ball away from their body. And then, three, they have their back to defenders, and I can't imagine what it's like to catch a football when you know, like, a 250-pound dude is just waiting to take your head off. So I think it's a combination of things. And really, down on the list of reasons is that the Steelers' receivers can't catch. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the, uh, the the little video that uh, that we had blessed, blessedly been giving access, access to that had all their drops in it. <laughs> and a lot of it was just, like, I feel like a lot of it was just honestly just Ben being inaccurate. And and it, look, he's like a million, a million years old. Like, he, he's not as good as he once was, and, and that's perfectly okay. But... Uh, it, like for Tomlin to say that it's on the receivers, like that's just like some prime hardo football guy where you're like, <laughs> yeah. But if, if the if the ball touches your hands, then you got to catch it. If it touches your fingertips, and you you got to hold on to it. Like, and Tomlin knows like it's it's he's a smart guy. Like he knows it's, it's more nuanced than that. It's harder than that. Like there's a pass in there to Chase Claypool where he's got to turn all the way around and and try to extend his arms. Uh, what make like a 180 degree turn and extend full full arms as like opening himself up towards the middle of the defense. That's a, that's a hard catch to make for anyone. Uh, and it, it's just, yeah, like, yeah, the, the receivers get paid handsomely too, but the quarterback can help them out a little bit. And I think at this point in his career with Ben Roethlisberger, it's just, it's going to be a little bit harder for him to consistently hit those throws. And uh, I'm interested to see what this offense looks like in the playoffs, because I think once you start getting to some of these more difficult teams that you're going to be facing uh, in the postseason, you know, it's just sitting around with a little quick hitter passing game that's going to expose you guys over the middle of the field. And all you're really doing is throwing short and throwing to the sidelines. I feel like that's going to be pretty easy to stop. And, mm-hmm. you know, l- like you said, they have some playmakers, you know, Deontay Johnson, when, his hands are not being greased. He can run routes, I think, you know, pretty well and get open pretty easily. Because I think the thing with Deontay is, like, every time he drops a pass, it seems like he's in position to make the play. He just doesn't yeah. hold on to it. And, you know, you got big threat, big play threats like like uh, Chase Claypool and Juju's a solid player too. I mean, they got weapons to get this thing figured out. It just, to me, it seems like for whatever reason, they're – kind of limiting their own offense. And I don't know if that's a quarterback thing. I don't know if it's an offensive coordinator thing. I don't know if they don't have trust in some of these younger receivers, but they got to figure out a way to get this ball down the field and not be so predictable when they start playing these teams that have like legitimate Super Bowl aspirations. Well, I'm going to blame it on Ben because I'm not passing up a chance. Steven, you brought up a... Criticizing. 
<laughs> one thing, the one thing I do regret is if he, I wish he still had that radio show. You know that radio show where he like just would throw a new teammate under the bus, like it like came out every morning. That's we have, a, we have a we have a we have a tag on for the win for that. It's uh, if you start typing Ben Rossberger in, it says Ben Rossberger throws a teammate under the bus. Is one of our <laughs> tags from like back in the day. If that uh, radio show was still going this year with all these drops. Oh my God, Ben would have. <laughs> He would have created so much content. <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephen, I liked your point that you brought up that like drops are, are obviously bad for a wide receiver. Like, it's, yeah, wide receivers are supposed to catch the football, but like, if a guy gets into a position enough that he actually is accumulating a fair number of drops, like that means that he's already providing more value than like a sure-handed guy, like. Uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside might really have the best hands ever, but like he's never gotten open to have the ball thrown to him. So, like, you probably want the guy who's able to get open and catches it 75% of the time rather than 89% of the time or whatever. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about another offense that is not working and, and one that I know pains Steven because he, has had such high hopes for what Cliff Kingsbury was going to do. And I feel like we've been chronicling this pretty closely ever since Kingsbury got to the NFL. And Charles in a former job actually dug in on what, what made Cliff Kingsbury. Steven sort of looked at it from a schematic point of view. He just sort of looked at the film and, and gathered whatever information he could about how it happened. And Charles actually dug in on some old coaches and, uh, what they, you know, how he had been shaped and forged over the years. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion because I think both of you agree that the Cardinals offense is broken right now and that Cliff Kingsbury is is really the one to blame, that he is not using the pieces he has in the optimum way he should. Uh, so, Stephen, why don't you take us through what you found when you started looking at this? Yeah, the first thing I noticed right away when – like. Whenever I start one of these posts, I just try to find some stats and find something that kind of explains what's what they're doing poorly when it's in regard to a bad offense. And the first thing that jumped out was their their performance on the RPOs because it's such a big part of their offense on early downs. And one of the reasons I was so high on Cliff is that he did run these concepts like every down, whereas some other NFL teams had committed to it, but they it wasn't like an every down thing. But with the Cardinals, it has been. But the issue with them is they're throwing a lot of bubble screens. They have a lot of screen passes attached to these run concepts. And like that works in the Big 12 when you have a future FedEx driver at, at, at slot corner. It doesn't work when you have a guy that can actually tackle and like can break. And these receivers aren't great blockers either. So I like looked at the EPA on that. And it's like by far they're the worst team in the league when it comes to throwing those passes. And I think that's because other teams are throwing those passes downfield. Like the Chiefs are throwing slants on their RPOs. They're not throwing bubble screens to Larry Fitzgerald. So that right there, that adjustment, I think, would improve a lot of things for them on early downs. But the passing game on third down, I don't think there's an easy fix within the, the structure of their offense, how it's structured right now under Kingsbury. I think you would need to overhaul the passing game to fix that issue. 
Yeah. I got to I got to tell the people that when you call somebody a, a a FedEx driver like that's you're even being meaner than it appears because both of you are so angry with FedEx drivers right now or, <laughs> or anxious about your PS PS5 deliveries. So like that really that that was a deep cut, man. Right, like, usually yeah. I'd say UPS. I didn't even give right. that. I gave UPS. I'll no, it's fit. That, that triggered me a little bit because I know I want my PlayStation 5 real bad and it's been like <laughs> a week since it's supposed to be delivered. Uh, well, that, but yeah, like Big 12 corner, Chris said blame him. Now. Wait, you broke up again. <laughs> I was saying blame that Big 12 corner who was missing tackles. He's the one yeah. that failed to deliver your PS5. <laughs> Some Texas Tech corner. He, he's the one that's, that's messing me up right now. <laughs> Uh, but going back to what Chris said earlier, yeah, my last big piece I wrote at SB Nation was uh, I interviewed Hal Mummy and Sonny Dykes about the air raid in Cliff and uh, kind of the history and, and how Cliff would project. And, uh, you know, Sonny, Sonny's point was that Cliff does not run like just the standard version of the air raid that you think of where it's just like four verter mesh or like the NCAA concept every other play. It's you know, he, he called him more like the Sean Payton of uh, college football. And I don't know if you if we can go that far, because I feel like Sean probably would have made this work this season somehow. But uh, it, it's not just like your your standard air raid that only runs a handful of plays a game. You know, they're they're trying to I mean, they were trying to do stuff early in the year. But, you know, if you watch some of these recent games, like Steven said, it's pretty stagnant right now. You know, a lot of screens. uh they run a lot of plays where it's just like four little hitch routes or even have empty yes. run five little hitch routes and no one's getting open. And I think one thing that the Rams game that they just played the other day showed that is if you have someone like Jalen Ramsey who can match up one-on-one with DeAndre Hopkins, then this offense can't really do anything in the passing game, especially with how like limited Cliff has become. Uh, because Ramsey, he's one of those guys that can just match up with any receiver in the league and playing a bigger receiver like Hopkins, like I think that's actually a pretty favorable matchup for him. So when they have to look elsewhere, they just don't have a guy that can make a play. And Cliff hasn't been creative enough to try to get people open through play calling. So uh, it it's it's it sucks because like in theory, this Cliff and Kyler pairing was supposed to be, you know, like the future of the NFL, like this futuristic pairing that's just going to set the world ablaze. And they've actually gotten pretty conservative in how they're calling plays. And the way that you kind of look at it is uh, uh, Kyler Murray, he's almost playing like, like when you watch an NBA star and they're just like, you know what? I don't trust the rest of you guys. I got this. I'm going to play hero ball and jack up 30 shots a game, 40 shots a game. And we're going to live and die by, by what I'm doing. That's kind of what the Cardinals offense feels like. Like that's not, it's not Kyler doing that on purpose it's more just like cliff kind of put him in these iso ball spots where he's got to make something happen or nothing's going to happen and you know deandre hopkins kind of got erased by ramsey a little bit and the only one of the only big plays that they had uh to arnold on that like 59 yard touchdown in the first half was you know there were like three or four rams defenders covering hopkins and arnold was just running by himself down the field like that wasn't even anything that cliff did that was just a coverage bust by the rams so uh it's tough it's tough for kyler to get anything going uh christian kirk is a pretty mediocre receiver andy isabella i mean not to be just so mean but he kind of has no business being on that field right now uh it's it's not great and then when they try to get 
into some of their deeper sets and then into you know some of these seven step drops or, or deeper passing route down the field, their tackles can't really hold up in pass pro and their tight ends can't either. So it's a mess. You know, it, it's really just the Kyler and Hopkins show. And when Hopkins gets neutralized, Kyler really doesn't have anything going for him. I, I think it's it's kind of funny though is that like, the Cardinals are kind of able to run the ball, and that's not what Cliff was brought here to do. Uh, and they really got some soul search to do over the last few weeks because if they if they manage to make it into the playoffs, you know, this is a pretty easy offense to slow down right now. Yeah, so what you're saying is Isabella is not even fit to drive a uh, FedEx truck. He's like he's like a DHL driver. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny though because I, I remember I was like I was intrigued by Isabella because same I, I'm a I'm a Georgia fan and like the only time I saw Isabella play was like they played Georgia and once the backups came in like Isabella went off for like 200 yards uh, when UMass played Georgia a couple of years ago. It's like oh you know like this this kid at least shows he can play against talent that is a little bit better than him because even Georgia's backups are going to be better than what he'll see like on a week-to-week basis in whatever conference they play in. But it's just not working out. Like, I don't remember what game it was a few weeks ago where he had a chance to like just make a play on the ball to help Kyler out, like just go up and get the jump, jump ball. And he did one of those things like where you just kind of wait for the ball to come to you and didn't attack it at all. And it was an easy pass breakup. So I think that was the Cowboys game on Monday night. I remember, I remember what play you're talking about. It's like, dude, like, do you see the ball in the air? Like he had problems tracking the ball in the air. Yeah. Like, like not to sound too much like a coach, but like, be an athlete, go make a play, like do something. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think as the, the Cardinals start to look into the off season, uh, they they got some serious work to do on the offensive side of the ball because you know it, it's just Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins and in some weeks like like versus the Bills like that can win you a game but it'd be a lot easier if they had some help from their coach and some of the other guys on offense which they're not getting right now and he doesn't even move Hopkins around so right. it becomes so much easier to defend him like put him in the slot like attack a, a nickel corner and if they adjust the defense adjusts that opens up things elsewhere that force the nickel corner to go outside and, and cover someone where he's not comfortable. It's just like a very collegiate approach to calling offense where your guys just line up and you just expect to beat the guys across from you. But you're not like attacking schemes in the NFL. You're attacking mismatches. And Cliff has shown no desire to do that. Yeah, like this, this is the first time – that it like really feels like a college offense, which is, which is disappointing. I mean, it's just it's it's not going to cut it, especially with the level of talent that they have on offense right now. I will say he has delivered in the run game. I will give him credit for that. Like the run game is everything I thought it would be, and it's been really good despite some underwhelming talent on the offensive line. And I think a lot of it is due to the fact that they're scheming up all this stuff and they're forcing the defense to take guys out of the box. I do think he has done a good job of that. But this is the NFL, and you're not going to survive with a good run game. Right. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I want to ask Charles about uh, Greg Williams, because in your most recent job with the New York Daily News, you were covering the Jets on a pretty regular basis, and you uh, have some insight here. Uh, and 
you picked up a post this morning uh, with Richard Sherman discussing the much discussed call at the end of the Jets Raiders game and uh, Sherman calling it, it lazy football. Uh, and, you know, and just sort of pointing out uh, what a lot of other people pointed out about that. But I wanted to get your viewpoint on what Jets players thought about playing for Greg Williams and what we think his future is. Uh, you know, I think there are plenty of us who have looked at Greg Williams over the years and thought, like, hey, this guy probably does not deserve all the chances he's getting. But uh, I mean, I think it's I think there's a good chance he gets another chance. Uh, so I'm wondering what your viewpoint is on on him as a, as a coach and defensive coordinator and uh, you know, from the locker room perspective, particularly of, of how players think about him. I mean, Jets players love Greg because he's, he's like this big raw, raw guy. He's one of the few guys in the Jets coaching staff that like actually brought a lot of energy day in, day out. And I mean, I, I thought especially in 2019, you could see that because their raw defense was good. Like he, the way he was using Jamal Adams was great. Uh, and they, I really kind of adapted his personality, like just this hard nose, like maybe we're not the most talented group of guys, but we can be in the right place and we're just going to blitz the hell out of you and, and hopefully that we can make uh, enough big plays, which I think was kind of his thought process on uh, Sunday uh, <laughs> in the Raiders game where, where they lost. And I think the fact that he got fired the day after the game goes to show that they are not tanking. And if you saw Mike Silver's thread about what had happened and how a surprise case was that, uh, they had called the cover zero blitz when they should have just been, you know, spamming prevent defense. Uh, goes to show that this Jets team is like actually trying to win a game. They're just really, really that bad. Uh, but I don't know what what Greg's. I don't know. Like, does Greg deserve another chance? I don't know. I mean, because probably not. Because he, we're talking about a guy who was involved with the bounding gate stuff with the Saints. Uh, right. He was the defensive coordinator for the 0-16 Cleveland Browns in 2017. He is the defensive coordinator for this 0-12 Jets team that has a great chance to go 0-16 as well. I mean, it's not – like he, he's not the worst play call in the world, uh, but the resume is not looking great. I think, you know, maybe it's not next year, but a, a couple years down the road, maybe he gets back into the league. But I think after – like this ending for him in the past couple seasons, I, I I would be a little surprised if he ended up just picking up another defensive coordinator job uh, next year. And like, you know, like Richard Sherman said, you know, it's not like this is a guy who's consistently calling top 10 defenses or has a year where it's top five, you know, it's just always a little bit middle of the pack and there's a place for that in the league. But, you know, when you have an ending that, that, that is that embarrassing, which features, Adam Gase of all people firing you. <laughs> like, it, like you got fired by Adam Gase, like, someone that no one likes, someone that no one respects. Like how how is that something you can just bounce back from in a year's time? I mean, it, like when we are when we are at training camp practice, uh, covering covering practice every day, dude, like Greg's a talker. Like I see why the players love him. Like he's funny. He's he's got like the right balance between being like offensive without pushing the the, the bar too far or, or pushing too hard on guys, and you know I get why guys like him, but I after that I mean, how do you how do you how do you sell that to a fan base? Uh, especially like it, it, it was just such an impulsive call. Like when you when you think about Greg Williams, like one of the things you think of is impulsive when you think of the, the bounty stuff and you think of this play that he called and how he likes to call defense. He just needs to take a step back and we'll figure this out in a couple of years. But 
I, I, I can't imagine that someone is just dying to happen to, to the coaching staff next year. What do you think uh, play matters most to players? You know, you said that him being rah-rah appeals to them, but like, what's the balance of between competence and getting the energy up before practice? Like what do, what do NFL athletes from what you've observed, what do they care about most from their coaches? Uh, winning, like <laughs> being able to win. And I think the fact that they were so vocal, like Marcus may who never says anything to reporters uh, on the record. He, he flat out said, on Sunday after the game that they needed a better call in that situation. And that's, that's when you've lost guys. Like when you, when they're willing to openly criticize you and even Sam, Sam Darnold, who doesn't say anything like even more than Marcus does. Sam was like, when he got asked about the call by reporters, Sam was like, it is what it is. Well, coming from Sam Darnold, that's like a scathing public <laughs> remark. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that the raw, raw stuff can probably wear down on you a little bit when you're not winning uh, at all. And I think that it has some value, like on a coaching staff that's run by Adam Gase, where, you know, Gase is not going to be that guy at all. Like he's, in terms of getting guys motivated, he's pretty hands off in that regard. So I think like having Greg, someone with Greg's personality was beneficial at times for them, but you can't call that play in that situation. And I think, it just if like if I had to go in, into Greg's mind on that play, like I think the play before they were in prevent defense, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, the play before they were in prevent and Nelson Aguilar right. ran right past everybody and Derek Carr just missed him deep, like barely. So in Greg's mind, like oh well that didn't work, so I'm gonna go completely opposite. Either way, way. a guy's gonna right. open. <laughs> right. So instead of dropping, instead of we're gonna instead of running like a drop eight scheme where we're rushing three, no, we're sending the house. Like everyone's gonna go blitz and uh like richard sherman described you know if you can get that blocked up and you have these guys these guys in the secondary just kind of running free then that's good that's like the danger zone for a defense and if you go back and you watch the play they pretty much got it blocked up except for neville hewitt who got through uh like past the center or the left guard but he you know he wasn't able to make the play and bring Derek carr down and then you have henry ruggs who runs like a four two against uh, UDFA cornerback Lamar Jackson. Uh, <laughs> not Lamar Jackson. Not, not, Wrong Lamar right, Jackson. Right, right. Fake Lamar Jackson. <laughs> he, he runs like a 4-6. Like, that's such an easy play for an NFL quarterback to make, and they lost the game on the last play. And I know that Jets fans were happy about that because it, it keeps the track towards Trevor Lawrence. And I know that a lot of Jets fans would love for Adam Gase to have to permanently wear the stain of an 0-16 season because they don't like him anymore. But... Uh, the players were the players were very very upset that they ended up losing that game, and I think you you just kind of if you're an organization that's going to bring Greg Williams in, you kind of have to think like what does this look like because he had a chance to save these players from being one of the worst teams in NFL history, and he was too impulsive to let that happen. All right, let's step back and and sort of assess the league right now and where things stand. As I said, the Steelers lost to the football team. And so now they are 11 and one. We called it on here. We called the, that happening. Actually, I, I, I remembered you saying it and then I forced you to say it, even though you weren't going to say it, but we ended up being right. So I'm still taking uh, credit for it. So yeah, no, you should, you should, you, you originally had the take. Uh, So the, the chiefs and Steelers are both 11 and one, but the, uh, 
first tiebreaker is obviously head to head. Those teams don't play. Uh, and the next head, uh, the next is conference record and the chiefs lost to the Raiders. So the Steelers remain ahead, but, uh, the 538 projections give the Chiefs a 58% chance of getting the first round by of winning the AFC. Uh, that's probably because the Steelers have a tough game this week against Buffalo, then play at Cincinnati, not a tough game, but then close out with uh, Indianapolis and Cleveland. How do you guys see this shaking out in the end? Do you think the Chiefs can can stay where they are? The Chiefs have Miami this weekend, so both these teams have have good, you know, ostensibly good games on paper uh, going into the weekend. What do you think? Who do you think actually ends up on top here? Uh, I'm I'm like at the point where I don't care. I just like the Chiefs. The Chiefs <laughs> are going to. You were there like four weeks ago, though. So. Right. Like, I just have to, have to keep saying it. Like, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl no matter what. I don't like it doesn't matter for the Chiefs. <laughs> it matters way more for the Steelers. Just to, I, I think just to get their hopes up. But Patrick Mahomes is going to come through and just destroy that building like Bane and it's they're going to win anyway. It doesn't matter. Ben Roethlisberger is not matching Patrick Mahomes throw for throw. <laughs> nope. All right, let's get Charles's take. I, I completely this. agree. I mean, to me, <laughs> nice. the only question is like who is playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and furthermore, who is losing to the Chiefs? The <laughs> right. Bowl. Like, I I can't imagine any NFC team or any AFC team knocking them off en route to the Super Bowl this year. Like that offense is it's just the machine. I mean, you got. Are they, are they, do they have the top two leading receivers in the league or top, two of the top three with Travis Kelsey and Tyree Killer both over a thousand yards right now with four games to go? I mean, <laughs> what, what are we watching here? It's hard to even comprehend how good this actually is. So, yeah, I think that the Chiefs offense death machine is just going to keep rolling and they are going to be hosting uh, Lombardi again and probably more to come throughout the years. Man, I wanted you guys to argue, but I, yeah. I gotta, I'm gonna want to find something. Well, you, you gotta come up with something better than like, are the Chiefs the best team in the league? Because <laughs> like, that's not that's not gonna get it done. <sighs> you could like, be at least be some nuance, you know? Like some people think the the Chiefs aren't that great. I don't know who they are. We we trashed them in the last episode of the podcast, but I don't know. Maybe maybe Charles would up, uphold some of that. I'm not that brave. Uh, all right, let's talk about a little bit about uh, let's look at week 14 and uh, we're hoping this episode will drop a little bit before Thursday night football. The Patriots are at the Rams. Rams are a five point favorite in this one. Uh, Steven, you mentioned to us that you thought the Patriots were starting to figure out some things on offense. Uh, I think that was before we did the show. And then earlier on the show, you were talking about the fact that you felt like the Patriots didn't really adjust well enough to what they had in, in Cam Newton, both, you know, as far as building personnel and, uh, you know, what Josh McDaniels has done. Uh, so what are you seeing from the Patriots uh, who still have an outside shot at making the playoffs? I mean, they're still in contention. I think in this last Chargers game, you at least started to see them do build on the cool stuff that they initially did. Like in that week one game against the Dolphins, they they ran a bunch of cool plays with Cam Newton running the ball. And like everyone was like, oh, this is going to be how it is all year. And then we never really saw them build on that until this last game. They did a lot of interesting things with formations and how they were they were like putting all the receivers to one side of the field and having like a nub tight end on the other side and putting the fullback on that side and really dictating wh- where the defense had to put their numbers and then just running away from them. And 
I thought that's what we were going to see all season. And it maybe it took a while. The COVID thing definitely affected this team as a whole, not only before the season started, but during it when Cam got it, which really derailed the season. But now Josh McDaniels has had, what, a month and a half straight to work with Cam Newton to practice where Cam Newton's practicing. And I really think he's starting to figure things out. So I really want to see this extended into at least another year and then bring in at least one more reliable target. Like Demir Bird might be the Patriots' best receiver. Jacoby Myers is the other guy in the discussion. But those guys are like <laughs> average number twos. Like Christian Kirk would be the best receiver on this team right now. So just if they can just give Cam a tight end and they can continue to build on this run game, I really think it won't take long for the Patriots to bounce back in this post-Brady era. They need to add Andy Isabella, man. That's what they need. <laughs> that's, that's, he's, he's a Patriots receiver right there. Uh, Charles, what's your pick for this game? What, do you, what are you thinking? You know, I, uh, I, I think I'm going to roll with the Patriots, honestly. Like, I, 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 I just kind of like the way that, you know, every, every year when – when, and this goes back to well before Cam got here, but, like, you'll have these stretches in the season where the Patriots maybe are kind of – uh, just tri- like waiting water for a little bit, and I, it seems like they're starting to figure things out. Like I know that they've really only played close games outside of that Chargers loss over the past like four games, but you know they're four and one, and they're starting to win some of these games that they were losing earlier in the year, and it just kind of feels like not not that this is a Super Bowl team or anything, but you know they're starting to figure it out how to play with Cam, how to maybe use his defense a little bit better than uh they were before and i'm just fascinated to see one like how belichick plans on slowing down the rams offense again uh like he did in the super bowl a few years he and flores did in the super bowl a few years ago and and two like how does this offense keep evolving with cam newton against one of the better defenses in the league i mean if there's anyone who can figure out how to play hero ball against a defense featuring donald and, and ramsey with no other help like it's cam newton like cam newton's really the only quarterback that can make this team viable i think uh but it's just fun to watch the puzzle pieces be put together and i think that the patriots are starting to figure out a little bit so you know i I, i'm gonna go off the cuff we'll be here and pick the patriots to win this game yeah i'm picking the patriots too because i think i think the patriots are just going to use the same game plan they used in the super bowl which was like i i think it was a player who said it to one of the, the reporters was like their plan was to make Jared Goff piss his pants and like it <laughs> happened and I think it's going to happen again because he's been doing that like every couple of weeks this season. And I wouldn't be surprised if Belichick has something. It's probably going to be different, but I think the goal is going to be the same, like make Jared Goff panic. I, uh, I like having Charles in the show because he's really good at uh, providing segues. He mentioned Brian Flores and uh, that brings me to the Dolphins Chiefs mm-hmm. game. And, and I'm wondering if uh, Belichick's latest protege will have anything to flummox Patrick Mahomes. I mean, is there anything that he could? We, we've talked all year about Mahomes having trouble under pressure when when a team can get pressure with four, right? Like with just a regular rush. Uh, that's that's the one way that you can can sort of slow Mahomes down. There's no way to stop him. Uh, I don't think the Dolphins are going to be able to achieve that. But is there something else that Flores might have dialed up here? Uh, Kansas City's a, a touchdown favorite here. I'll leave that one to Charles because I don't got anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't really have too much either. <laughs> I, I, I mean, 
I'm I'm interested to see the chess match between Reed and Flores. Uh, that's one thing, but like, ah, come on, two is going to keep up with Mahomes. Get out of here! <laughs> right, like that's always what it comes down to. Is like, can they keep up with Mahomes? And the answer is ninety nine percent of the time, no. Yeah, and I mean, like, Atua has been better than I thought he would be. I mean, he looks more athletic and like a physically stronger player than uh, he did. Uh, I think his last year at Alabama, but you know, asking him to keep pace with this offense is just not fair. So, uh, I think that if you're if the, what the intrigue with this game is is like you're getting maybe the best offensive mind in the league versus one of the best defensive minds, and just trying to see like how they counteract like the amount of blitzing and the cornerback talent that the Dolphins have. Yeah, I would. I just want to see is is Flores going to blitz him or is he going to try to play coverage, but. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with him. Flores, in my mind, is already a top five defensive coordinator. I know he's a head coach, but like he's a def- top five defensive play caller. I know he doesn't even call plays, but <laughs> yeah, I'm like just tripping over myself. He's a top five defensive mind. He's a top five guy. Yeah, he's a top five defensive guy. He's elite. Like he's earned all this praise. Like some other coaches, like I, w- I would even throw Cliff in there. Like Cliff did some pretty good things with the Cardinals last year and got some praise, but. I feel like it's legit with Flores. Like he's shown ability to adjust in game to a, a game plan, changes game plans week to week. Like he's doing Belichick things. He's doing things that we thought Matt Patricia was going to do and never did. <laughs> That's who Flores is. Right. Uh, all right. St- you guys are both picking the the Chiefs. I assume to cover there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That could be a hundred points. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the line is, but they're covering it. It's a it's a touchdown. Seven. Uh, Steelers. Bills. Uh, the Bills are actually favored here by two and a half, according to the line I'm looking at. This is the Sunday night game. Uh, what do you guys think? Steven? Uh, see, I've been going back and forth on this game. Like, on one hand, I want to pick against Josh Allen. Because <laughs> so, it's just a thing I do. But I, like, I trust Sean McDermott enough to put together a game plan that makes – that exposes the weaknesses of that Steelers offense, which I don't think is hard to do. The only thing I'm worried about is like the Bills defense hasn't been very good this year. Maybe Ben is able to pick it apart. And I do think that Steelers defense can give Josh Allen problems. Like Josh Allen has been better. And I've said this on the pod a bunch of times, but like you watch him play and he's still like that old Josh Allen is still in him and will come out if you put him under pressure. Yeah. I I, I was about to say, like, I think, I think I would lean Steelers in this game just because if there is a defense that can, you know, revert him back into his bad habits, it's this one because they are just kind of come at you from every angles. And, like, Minka Fitzpatrick, he just always seems to be around the ball. Like, even if he's not getting picks, like in that uh, uh, the Ravens game, like he had a chance to end it early uh, before McSorley – or maybe it was like right when McSorley came in and he just dropped the interception. And, like, those opportunities, they can be there for uh, the Steelers. I just, I just don't – know uh if like if the if the bills are able to get the ball into the ends of a few times like i just don't know if the steelers are going to be able to match that but like if you can play like a level of chaos on defense to kind of match like whatever frenetic energy that josh allen brings on offense and i think that that you have a, a pretty good chance to win this game because like you said the bills defense hasn't really been anything too special and uh the, the Steelers, like, they're at least healthy enough where they can score points against this defense. And I think that they have the defense on their side to, to make life hard for Josh Allen. So I think I'm going to roll with the Steelers. I'm going to steal his take. Like, that's a great point. I feel like the best way to defend Josh Allen, who just, like, thrives in chaos, is to match 
his level of chaos. Just, just throw chaos. that type of stuff right back at him. <laughs> like you play like a static like Seattle type defense, and he'll like he'll beat it up. But it, I, I don't know if you throw chaos at him, he's he thrives in it. But I think he might make some reckless mistakes too. Yeah, and I, like you just look at how good the Steelers front is, and uh, like that 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 defensive line paired with Minka Fitzpatrick, I think is just so hard to go against. And you know, the Brian Dabble is going to do his best to scheme it up, but like the personnel is just so incredible for for Pittsburgh that I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to to consistently move the ball. So I'm going to roll with the uh, the Steelers on this one, and hopefully Josh Allen doesn't make me look stupid yet again. Uh, all right, Cardinals Giants. Uh, I'm not sure actually how interesting this game really is, but I do want to get Charles's thoughts on the Giants uh, since he's been working in New York. And Stephen and I did a segment in our show earlier this week where we looked at like prevailing notions on the internet, and one is that like the Giants are some happy, fun story, and we sort of said actually they're probably not in a great position. <laughs> like they're going to, they might make the playoffs and it might make it seem like things are going in the right direction, but are they really? Uh, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. How, how much you're buying into the giants storyline this year and, and whether the foundation is there moving forward. I think the guy, I think they got a decent foundation. Like Andrew Thomas, the guy, they, the left tackle, they drafted the fourth overall right. has played a lot better uh, since like Joe Judge took a more hands-on approach with the offensive line coaching, which to me is like super impressive that he can just grab that and it looks like a functional unit again. Uh, but like you said, like there's a little bit of buyers will beware here. I mean, because if you make the playoffs, you're not going to be maybe getting the high draft pick you need. You might have a little bit of inflated sense of yourself and you moving into next year. And Look, as impressive as I think that Joe Judge has been this year, especially as of late, this team is still five and seven. Like it's, it's not like they're some team that's been blowing teams apart and look like a real NFC power. And I know that you know there's games where that five and seven record maybe could have been enhanced a little bit. Especially that game, first game against the Cowboys, uh, that game against the Rams, they had a chance to win at the end. The game against the Eagles and Tampa Bay, like they're right in the middle of some of these closer games that they just haven't been able to close out. But this team is not that great, uh, and they have a pretty good chance to make the playoffs. But another thing is, like, I, I do want to know, like, they are improved a lot from last year, especially on defense. Like, that defense is definitely taking a step forward. And I remember last year I was at the Cardinals-Giants game where Chase Evans ran for, like, three touchdowns. And I think Matthew Berry, like, just started freaking out about how <laughs> – Cliff pull, like pulled pulled one over everyone by uh, not playing David Johnson that week, but this is not that Giants team. I mean, Patrick Graham, I think he's done one hell of a job, especially over like this past uh, you know four or five game stretch. I like, really since that Bucks Monday Night game where you start to see the plans start to come together and Leonard Williams is having a great season. I mean, they have pieces to slow this Cardinals offense down, especially in its current form, like we talked about. So. Uh, I'm not sure what the spread is on this game, but I, I think that the Giants have like have a really good chance to win this game if they can just keep the brakes on what Colin Murray is trying to do outside the pocket with his legs. Yeah, Arizona's a point and a half favorite. Stephen, yeah. what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. This is a bad matchup for the Cardinals, I think. And I think you could put James Bradbury on DeAndre Hopkins if that's something you mm-hmm. want to do. Like, I'm not 
super high on Brad Bradbury where I'm like, oh, he's a top five corner now, which I've seen on the internet. But I've always thought he was good and a solid cornerback who's looked worse because he's had to, you know, take these one-on-one matchups with Julio Jones and Mike Evans and Michael Thomas every week. But as for like the long-term outlook of the Giants, like the, the reason we have concern is because Dave Gettleman is still there. And if he makes the playoffs, he might be there again and then if they make the playoffs daniel jones is going to be the guy that brought them to the playoffs and they're going to have a hard time moving on from him and i'm still not sold on daniel jones's long-term future so that's where my concern comes from like it's not necessarily a concern for this team over the next month i do think they're going to win this game yeah i and, and i think that's a great point like but being a, being nervous about Daniel Jones because if you make the playoffs you're not going to be in a great position to get someone and i think mm-hmm. that they whether it's someone they draft or whether it's you know a veteran hitting the market i, I don't know who that veteran would be but they got to add some competition for Daniel Jones next year like don't don't let that get complacent because like you have some pieces elsewhere on your team and you know i i think that an, another way this is a bad matchup for the cardinals is like these giant, this Giants team is like the mentality of it is so much different than last year. Where you know, like Joe Judge, he comes in and he says like all this, you know, we're going to be hard nosed, physical team that punches you in the mouth and all this stuff, and like it's easy to shrug that off. But they play like that, like they are here to like they are very physical. They're here to punch you in the mouth and and blow you up a little bit. And I don't know that the Cardinals are kind of ready for that physicality right now because they don't really play like it. That's interesting. That's interesting insight that 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 it. It has actually turned out that way because you know we were talking about Judge a lot when he came on strong. I mean, like his his whole press conference persona was very, uh, you know, hard ass football guy, and and whether or not you can actually make that happen. Like that's the thing I always wonder with like these guys are pro football players making a fair amount of money. Like it's not the same thing in college where they sort of have to buy into the system if they want to keep their scholarship and and get playing time. Like these guys know real, uh, real intensity and they know guys who, who understand what they're doing. So it's not, it's not always so easy to get them amped up just with words. uh, So to see it actually happen. But I do think the giants are in danger of falling for Daniel Jones. Cause that's what NFL teams do. They just fall for even mediocre, uh, competent quarterbacks, uh, like we saw with Jared Goff. Blake, uh, Blake Bortles got an extension. That's like right. I mean, it happens. Uh, all right, let's run through a couple more of the games. I'm just going to give you guys the line you can give me. If you have something interesting to say, you can say it. Uh, otherwise, just want your picks. Uh, the rest of the 1 o'clock games. Uh, the Texans are actually a one-point favorite uh, against the Bears. Uh, Texans. Deshaun. Yeah, Texans. Deshaun Watson. He's the, Deshaun. Just say Deshaun. the second best quarterback in the league this year. Yeah. And he's got something to prove against these, the Bears. Like, they, imagine how much better they would be with Deshaun Watson instead of whatever. Oh, yeah, they have. That's, a, that's a good point. Uh, Cowboys, Bengals. Wow, they're going to play this game, huh? Uh, Dallas is a three and a half point favorite. Uh, Dallas, who cares? <laughs> right. Dallas, <laughs> uh, who's starting at like? Can Ryan, you Andy Dalton revenge for, game? Andy Dalton revenge game. No, who's oh, starting yeah, for the Bengals? Uh, Ryan Finley, I think. See, but I don't right even now, know. I, I get Dalton. Dalton should be all time QB. He should just play for both. So. Uh, yeah, I'll take I'll take the the Cowboys. I think um, Vikings Bucks. That's a uh, Tampa Bay is favored by six and a half. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Vikings. 
I feel like wow. Kirk Cousins is playing better than Tom Brady is right now. And I know the Vikings defense kind of stinks, but I think they'll do enough to force Brady out of his comfort zone where he's throwing perimeter deep shots rather than throwing up the seams and crossing routes over the middle. Cause they do play a lot of too high, I think. So I'll take the Vikings. Uh, I'll go with Tampa Bay for no other reason than to be a contrarian. Like it. Like that's what I was looking for. Uh, Broncos Panthers. I'm not seeing a line on this game. I don't know. I guess you can't, <laughs> you can't gamble on drew lock. It's just not. Yeah. I'm not taking it wouldn't be a line. Yeah. Well, look, are we going to watch this game live at least? Are we going to watch it on Game Pass? I'm definitely not. No. All right. So uh, no line, I think, serves us well here. <laughs> uh, Tennessee, Jacksonville. Tennessee's a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, Tennessee. Like, I think Derek, is Derek Henry about to run for, for 400 yards this week? Yes. Maybe. I'm surprised this isn't on Thursday. Like, this should be a Thursday night game where they're both wearing just ugly jerseys. Like, that's the <laughs> tradition that I'm used to with this rivalry. All right. Uh, I'm going to take the Jaguars. I'm I'm like, I've been like pleasantly surprised by Mike Glennon. Like he hasn't looked like a, a disaster. And I'm of the belief that if you put him in the Rams offense, he would look, he would play exactly like Jared Goff. All right. All right. Four o'clock games. The later games, Saints, Eagles, Saints are a six and a half point favorite. Uh, Saints. Uh, that, and it's not because I like it. Taysom Hill versus Jalen, Jalen Hurts is like a push for me. But uh, the Saints defense is actually balling right now, and I think that they are going to make life absolutely hell for Hurts on Sunday. I know it's dumb, but I'm going to pick the Eagles. <laughs> I cannot pick Taysom Hill. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. Dude, and, He's a 3-0 as a starter, baby. I know. I know. <laughs> games against the Falcons don't count, though. <laughs> and that That's game my... against uh, the, the Broncos. <laughs> right. We're playing quarterback. Uh, but I'm going to say, like, I think Jalen Hurts is actually a better matchup for this defense than this offense with Carson Wentz because, like, you can't pass on the Saints right now with how they're playing defense and how they're playing coverage. So I think the only way you can win is running the ball, and I, I think Hurts will allow them to do that successfully. And maybe Taysom Hill looks like he did against Denver. Colts at Raiders. Uh, the Colts are a three-point favorite. Mm. Well, you know, the Raiders, are they're back playing in their normal times so maybe they'll actually show up this week. Uh, I, I, I kind of like the Raiders just as a get-back-on-track game because I don't think that – obviously the game against the Falcons was just a complete disaster, and I don't think that anyone is pleased by beating the Jets on the last-second play. Uh, I'll take the Colts. Like, Yeah, I think the Raiders are due for a game where they don't play like crap like they have the last couple of weeks. And that's the only reason I would pick them. But I think like in a vacuum, the Colts are a better team. And I know it's not going to happen because that defensive coordinator kind of calls games like a coward. But he should totally call a zero blitz on the first play. (laughs) I'll be here for it. Uh, All right. What's next? Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, Jets, Seahawks. Seahawks, sorry. Third half point favorite. <laughs> oh, the Jamal oh, Adams game. revenge game. <laughs> yeah, if there was a prop bet that I can make on Jamal Adams, like freelancing, breaking coverage to try a blitz for a sack, like I would put literally every penny in my bank account on that. Uh, He's going to have 20 tackles. You know, honestly, are the Seahawks. Oh God, I hate. I'm gonna sound so stupid. Do it, do it. Are, are the Seahawks 13 points better than like any team in the league right now? 
Dude, they no, just lost to Colt McCoy. No, I don't think so. I picked the Giants last week because of that, and it was only a 10-point line. And, yeah, I like the Jets are probably going to play as hard as any NFL team is going to play over the next couple of weeks to avoid 0-16. So I think I'm leaning towards the Jets and the points. Yeah, Seahawks win the game, Jets with the points is where right. I would go. There it is. Packers-Lions. Packers are a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Packers. Uh, <laughs> Packers. Yeah, Packers. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers in the against this horrible team. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Falcons-Chargers. Falcons are two-and-a-half-point favorite. <laughs> Why are the Falcons road favorites? I say that as a fan. Like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? Uh, the offense has been a complete disaster with Derek Cotter, and, like, the defense is definitely playing better, but – I can't imagine a world where they should be road favorites over anyone except like the Jets, maybe. So uh, I'm going to roll the Chargers. I'm just wondering how this game is going to end. Like, which team is going to lose it in heartbreaking fashion? Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be the Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have another uh, another downtrodden Falcons fan on staff. I mean, they're losers. You like this is what they do. They're they're going to get to like a twenty and ten lead, and before you know it, they have lost it. And the Chargers kicker, for once in franchise history, is going to make a game winning kick. I will. I'll say this: like I felt for one night, I felt like how it was to be a Falcons fan when I was because I covered that Super Bowl. They they blew the lead. And I had written the story by like the end of the third quarter, like about the Falcons winning and Kyle Shanahan outclassing Bill Belichick on the big stage. And then they started chipping away and I was rooting for the Falcons at that point. And we all know what happened. I don't have to rehash what happened. Yeah. And I had to rewrite the story in like 15 minutes. It was oh, <laughs> man, there's nothing worse than working on a game story and everything changes by the end of it. But luckily that didn't happen to me once this year covering the Jets. Like I, I, <laughs> I can't tell you how many game stories I had written by halftime and all I had to do was just enter in some stats and fire it off at the close. You left, you left before the, uh, the epic meltdown against the Raiders. So. Yeah, I did, which is lucky for me because I'm sure that was no fun to talk to the players. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'm going to take the Chargers. Justin okay. Herbert is my move. Yeah, Justin Herbert. Final 4 o'clock game is the football team versus the 49ers. Uh, it's a three-point line. The 49ers are three-point favorite. Uh, I think I wrote the – oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let me flip a coin. Uh, 49ers. I'll go 49ers because the Shanahan revenge – thing is probably like i don't think he likes dan snyder like who does but he might run it up if he has a chance to do it and i know the 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 washington football team has a good defense but shanahan like mitigates that for me like shanahan versus jack del rio in in 2020 i'm going with shanahan like it yeah uh all right ravens browns is the monday night game we'll talk about that on monday's show uh this is great. This is great, Charles. Thanks for thanks for joining the show, man. It's, uh, yeah. it's fun. Uh, yeah, follow these guys on Twitter at the Stephen Ruiz at Four Verts, and I'm at Chris Corman. Uh, catch us over at For the Win, ftw.usatoday.com. Uh, Stephen, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ha- give you the final word. I'll give it to Charles since he's he's checking in for the first time. Charles, what's what's a closing closing thought as we? Uh, 
Yeah, let, let's. Yeah, like I said earlier in the podcast, let's just hope that nobody dies uh, from coronavirus <laughs> over the last month of the season because we're right at the let's finish hope. line. We're right at the finish no line, and you know, if the NFL can get through without a death, they can't do it without a hospitalization because they already had two. Uh, let's not forget that. But if, if they can get to it without a death, I think that's something they'll champion very proudly as they slop their way through the season. <laughs> I love it. This has been the counter. Thank you for joining us, guys. We will talk to you again on Monday. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.